This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. All right. Like you heard Pastor Solomon say, we are continuing the series tonight on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to continue going through those fruits of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives us as gifts, and they're the evidence in our hearts. If you do want a Bible today so that you can flip through the pages and turn to the scriptures, we're going to. Our ushers have those ready for you, so just lift up your hands if you want to get the Word of God in your hands, and they'll get that for you. Hey, before we get started on the fruits of the Spirit, I just want to pray, invite the Holy Spirit to come and to do what He wants to do tonight, all right? So Father God, we thank you that you have a a word in season for every single person in this room, for every single person watching on live stream. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us each one to open our hearts, to be humble, to receive the word of God, that the the soil in our hearts would be good ground and that the seed of your word would produce a harvest within us. In Jesus' name, we can all say it together, amen. Okay, so just to recap a little bit from last week, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And if you think about fruit in the natural sense, fruit grows on the tree, and it is the evidence of what type of tree you're you're looking at. If you see apples growing off of or falling off of a tree, you know that's an apple tree. If you see pecans growing, it's a pecan tree. If you see peaches, etc., that identifies the type of tree. And the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit should be evidence in our heart. So this is evidence of who we are on the inside. Remember that just like a tree, there's this whole process that takes place on the inside of the tree that you cannot see before the fruit is visible on the outside. And that's the same with each one of us. There's a process on the inside of us, and these, these things are developed within us, and then eventually you can see the fruit of what's happened on the inside on the outside. Remember that we correlated the, the fact that in order to have fruit grow, you need several things. You have to have good soil. That soil has to provide nutrients. And we said that good soil is like our hearts being teachable and our hearts being humble. And when our hearts are humble and teachable, the Matthew chapter 13, it says it's like the ground, the soil in our heart is good ground. Then we need a seed. And when you plant a seed, Matthew 13 calls the word of God the seed. And we have to have the word of God on the inside of us growing in that soil. And then for any plant to grow, you have to have water. And John chapter 7 references the Holy Spirit as the living water. And so when we mix all that together, when we have a humble heart, we plant the seed of the word of God within us, and we allow the Holy Spirit to water that seed, we're going to start to see these fruits growing in our life. Remember that fruit also tells how healthy the tree is. You can have really juicy, crisp, delicious tasting apples, or the next tree over they could be mushy, bruised, diseased apples And that's evidence of what's happened on the inside of the tree. And so we want good fruit to be growing up in our hearts. Let's look at the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And this is our our key text for this whole series. We're going to read what the fruit of the spirits are. And so in Galatians, chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 22. Remember that before this, it talks about all of the fruit of the world, the fruit of the flesh, and it talks about things like drunkenness and envy and idolatry, sexual immorality, all of those things. And then in verse 22, it begins to list the fruits of the Spirit. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so those are the types of fruits that we want to be evidence on the outside of what's happening on the inside of us. 
Remember we talked about how you cultivate the fruit of the Spirit as we let the Holy Spirit be the gardener of our hearts. Now last week we talked about love and joy and peace, but I left you with a cliffhanger and I told you there was more about peace that I wanted to share. And so all of you came back this week, which is really good. And so we're gonna talk a little bit more about peace and I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. And we're gonna be in Isaiah 54 and then we're gonna turn back to Isaiah 26. So peace includes peace with God, where we know our relationship with God is in right standing. That's part of what peace is. It includes peace with other people. And the Bible tells us to, as far as it's possible with us, to live at peace with all people. And then it also includes an inner peace. Peace from things like anxiety or fear or depression or turmoil in our minds and in our hearts. The Bible says that we can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so in Isaiah chapter 54, looking at another element of peace, I'm gonna read in verse 10. And it says, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And this is God talking to his people. It says, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And so when our peace is peace that comes from God, the Bible says that it cannot be removed. Basically stated, no one can take your peace if your peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now if you get your peace from some other source, then of course it can be taken from you. If your peace comes in another person, that person could let you down or could leave you. If your peace comes from something like alcohol or drugs, those things will always let you down. If your peace comes from watching a certain TV show or doing a certain activity, those things won't always be there, but the Bible says that my peace cannot be removed. And so we want our peace to be based around the word of God, to be based around the character of God. And then moving back to Isaiah 26, and in verse three, it says, you keep, in, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And this is a promise, but there's a stipulation that God keeps us, again, it can't be removed, he keeps us in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on God. And if my mind is stayed or fixed or, or planted on something else, then that thing is always gonna be moving because the only thing that stands and lasts forever, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the Lord God. And so when my, when my thoughts, when my mind is fixed on something else, it's movable. But when I keep my mind fixed on Jesus, then I get that peace that is immovable and he keeps his peace within us. He keeps us in perfect peace. You know, one really amazing thing that the Bible says about peace, in Psalms chapter four, verse eight, it says, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone make me dwell in safety. And you know what I get, the picture that I get from that verse is a trust. Almost like there's nothing that I need to worry about while I'm sleeping because God is watching over me. His, he, the Bible says he commands his angels concerning us to guard us in all of our ways. And Psalms 4.8 is such a beautiful promise that I can lie down and sleep in peace knowing that he alone makes me dwell in safety. And a lot of us need peaceful sleep at times. I don't know if you've ever had sleepless nights or if you've had things like, like nightmares or anxiety attacks or panic attacks or anything like that and it's taken your sleep. The Bible says, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone make me dwell in safety. 
So the last thing that I want to share about peace comes in Colossians chapter 3. Back in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And this is an area of peace that I think not many people think about. Um, I, I feel very blessed because this is something that my parents taught me from an early, early age. And it's something that I've gotten to practice for years and years and years of my life. And the Lord's been so good to me in this area. But in Colossians chapter 3, it gives us another element of the peace that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to start in verse 15. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, and let. This is a word we heard a lot last week. Everybody say let. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, there's a word there that's very important, and it's the word ruled. And if you look up the word ruled in its original Greek context, because the New Testament was written in Greek, you will learn that that word has the implication of an umpire, like an umpire in baseball. You know, an umpire in a baseball game, they call all of the shots. They're the ones that says that was a strike or that was a ball. They're the ones that say you were safe or you were out. You're, they're the ones that say you balked or you didn't. They, have, they carry the rules and they decide and they have the final say. If an umpire says it's a strike, it doesn't matter how much the fans yell at them, it was a strike. And so the Bible says let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let God's peace be your umpire. Two more words that it has the implications of in the Greek language. It means to direct or to determine. So this is saying that we need to let God's peace direct and determine the course of our lives. And you hear this a lot of times stated, I, I got a check in my spirit when I started to go that way and I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. You know what that is? That's a lack of the peace of God. Or, man, I, we, we wanted to go this way and do this, but there was just something about it. That's a lack of the peace of God. But when you have the peace of God, you know, there's a, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, and there'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And that voice is the peace of God. There was a couple years ago, my wife and I were deciding what to do about sending our daughter to school. She was our firstborn, and it was our first time even thinking about school, and so we have all these decisions, Right? Before we had, we had had kids, we talked about, you know, I think we're going to homeschool our kids. I was homeschooled. I turned out fine, I guess, you know. So it'd probably work out for our kids. Love you, Mom. Uh, so, you know, that's what we thought. We just figured we're going to homeschool our kids. Well, then we found out that we live in a really good school district, and there's a really good elementary school. I feel like it's the best in Lubbock for the... For, that, for this area, and so we thought maybe she could go there. And then there's also, uh, I went to private school in high school, my, my wife went to private school all the way through her, her school career, and so that school was an option for our daughter as well. And so we had all of these, these things, all of this, you know, we're, we're weighing the pros, we're weighing the cons, and I felt the Lord just say, wait on me. Just wait on my peace. And so time for, you know, those applications are due at these different schools, like we're gonna miss out on our spot if we don't do something. But I just waited on the peace of God. And I remember my wife telling me, hey, we gotta make a decision on this. And I remember telling her, I'm not gonna say what we're doing. I'm not making a decision unless I get the peace of God. And so I was driving down the road one day, don't even remember where I was going, was not thinking about my daughter or her school at all. And all of a sudden, I got the peace of God that came into my heart and that the peace of God led me to send my daughter to Trinity Christian School. 
And I remember it was, it was instant. I called my wife and I said, hey, I'm driving down the road. The Lord just showed me this is where his peace is leading us. And so we enrolled her in, in TCS and she has absolutely flourished there. So much so that she wants to be a teacher when she grows up. When she gets home from school every single day, she pretends to be a teacher. I'm like, you're not tired of this? Like you just did this all day and you're gonna... But she absolutely loves it. She's flourishing. She is learning all about you know, school and she's doing well in that. She's, she's learning about the character and the nature of God there. And, and it's evident God planted her and placed her there. But we would have missed it if I wouldn't have waited and followed the peace of God. When you get that feeling in your heart that there's, there's no peace about this. There's this something in my spirit that doesn't sit right. Don't keep going. Don't run the spiritual red light. But when you get the peace of God, go forward. Remember the Bible says we're led by the Spirit, so let us keep in step with the Spirit. Follow the Spirit's peace. So not only is peace about the way that we feel and, and about our lives, but it's about the direction that we're taking. So we talked about peace, and the next fruit of the Holy Spirit that we're gonna talk about is the fruit of patience. Oh, three people just got up and walked out. Just kidding. Ha <laughs> ha. So our culture obviously struggles with patience. Uh, you, you can go to any, any place you wanna go to and see a lack of patience all around. I mean, just think about the, the <laughs> one of the ladies in our church, she's in the room right now, but I'm not gonna point her out. Uh, she told me the other day that she did not have a microwave at her house. And my immediate thought, which I realize this is so wrong, was how do you live? What? <laughs> What do you do without a microwave? Like, there's more ways to warm up your food than a microwave, and they're definitely better for you. But the, how do you get your, your water hot in 30 seconds? You can't without a microwave. And I remember thinking, this isn't good. She needs a microwave. That's, and that's our culture, right? We have to have it now. I mean, we, we get so upset if our internet doesn't load the page right then. If we're sitting in line at McDonald's and they don't make our, our double patty burger fast enough, it's like, it's been two minutes and 15 seconds. What are y'all doing in there? You know, the patience is such an issue. It's such a problem in our culture. We live in a culture that wants things now, and if it doesn't come now, I'm not very happy about it. I mean, just look around in traffic. You ever had somebody just zoom past you? You know, Philip tells a story of when I was not very patient driving one time, and he was in front of me, and I zoomed around him, and he was like, that was Pastor Evan. <laughs> you know, and I, again, I'm speaking to myself here. Patience is something that, that I struggle with. And you know what? I think that the place that we can lack patience the most, and this is sad, but it's in our home with our family. And, and we can be so patient with other people, you know, patient with our employer who's driving us insane, patient with that coworker next door, and we just keep patient, keep patient, keep patient. But then I get home and my kids are doing something irritating or my wife says something that irritates me and I can snap really quick and lose that patience. And it's almost like I let my guard down because I'm at home. But you know what? The fruit of patience can be evident in our life all the time. But it's something that the Holy Spirit has to work on and cultivate and grow on the inside of you because it doesn't just happen. So turn to the book of 2 Peter. Really close to the end of the Bible. You got 1st, 2nd Peter, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. 2nd Peter, we're gonna be in chapter three. So I, I hope to show you God's view of you, and I hope that that helps you and it helps me to have a different view of others. And so in 2 Peter chapter three, as you're turning there, 
If you had to give yourself a grade on patience, how would you rate yourself? You know, maybe you'd give yourself a different grade at home than you would at work. But if you just, you know, in general, I'm gonna grade myself on a one to a 10 scale, how patient are you? How patient are you in, in difficult circumstances? How patient are you when people aren't patient with you? How patient are you? And I think that's something that all of us can, can look inside, search inside our heart and decide, I need the Holy Spirit's help to be more patient. So this is 2 Peter, it's chapter three, and we're going to verse nine. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards who? Yeah, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so what that means is that right now, because the Lord has not come back yet and taken his church to heaven, he's being patient with us. He's being patient with people. He's saying that the people that haven't received me yet, they're worth me being patient for. He is a patient God towards us. And I mean, you think, how many times have I quote unquote let God down in my own eyes? And I love that, that song that says, I, I can't let you down because I wasn't holding you up in the first place. You know, but how many of us have done things that go against God's word over and over and over and over again? How many of you guys, you know, you know you struggle with lying and you just keep lying? You know you struggle with pornography and you just keep doing it. You know you struggle with alcohol and you just keep doing it and you're frustrated with yourself and God is being patient towards you. We serve a God, that's part of his character is that he is patient with us. And if we serve a God who has been that patient with me, then how can I not show that same patience to others? And the, and the same God that is patient towards me in an unbelievably, unbelievable way invites the spirit to come on the inside of us and fill our hearts with that same patience. Remember the fruits of the spirit, it's really the character and the nature of Christ. And so he's saying it, that if we let the Holy Spirit lead us, if we live by the spirit, if we keep in step with the spirit, then patience is one of the fruits that comes up on the inside of us. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter four. Going back to the left a little bit. Some of you guys are wearing out the table of contents. I love that. So Ephesians chapter four. So remember, God is patient with us, and so we should be patient with others and this one's gonna be a hard pill to swallow. I'm gonna warn you ahead of time. But Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna read verses one through three. This is Paul talking. He says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And he's saying to be patient with each other and to bear with one another, to help carry each other's burdens and to walk in patience towards the people around us, towards those, those people that let you down over and over and over again, towards those people that annoy you and you just can barely stand being around them, towards your children. When your children have asked for a, a, a block of cheese for the 58th time and you're like, I'll get it later, to be patient with each other. That's a call that we have, and it's a high calling. And again, especially in today's society where patience is not common, 
When, when you are a very patient person, you look different than the rest of the world because the world isn't patient. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We're gonna go to one more scripture about patience before we move on to the next fruit, but go ahead and turn to Psalms 27. While you're turning to Psalm 27, I went to college to be a teacher. And I graduated with my bachelor degree and I was like, okay, I'm ready. So I applied to all the different schools in the area, ready to be a teacher, and got a job. I got a job as an eighth grade math teacher at Cavazos Middle School. And I was so excited. I went out and got my new, I needed some nice clothes, I gotta look good to be a teacher. And I bought all this, like the decorations for my classroom and I went in early in the summer, set up my classroom, it was perfect. I got all, like my lessons ready. I was like, eighth grade math, I love math, these kids are gonna love math too, this is amazing. And I get to day one and day one was pretty rough. Any, do I have any teacher friends in the house? I ain't bless you, bless, bless you, bless you. And so I, I taught and I taught, so a couple weeks go by and after about two weeks of teaching, I was like, Lord, I've missed you, get me out of here. Like, I don't, this was not my calling. Somehow I went through four years of school and didn't realize that I, this, was, this is not for me. And I remember the Lord, I, I wasn't released to go on. And so the next year they asked, you know, do you wanna sign your contract for next year? And I was like, no. But I, I didn't feel released. I didn't feel, when we talked about earlier, the peace leading me, I, I didn't feel the peace of God leading me away, and so I stayed. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna come in this next year. I was too soft on them last year. They ran over me. I was the new guy for sure. This year, I'm going in hard. I'm gonna do this. Hated it still. And I, and I got to year three, and I'm like, Lord, please, surely three years is enough of this. No, he kept me there. And so I had to work in my heart to keep my, my attitude good, to keep my heart pure, because I was, I was doing it out of obedience to what God had called me to do. And year four came and went. And I get to year five, and I'm like, this, I, I do not like waking up and going to work. And some of you might be in a job like that right now. You don't like waking up and going to work. Sunday ends and you're like crying in your bedroom because Monday's gonna be terrible. And, and I really did the best that I could to keep a good attitude, but I didn't wanna be there. I didn't wanna be doing that. I, I hated my job. And I remember the Lord developing me in that time. I remember him teaching me things about myself I remember growing in my character. I remember learning things about who I was in Christ. I remember getting the chance to minister to kids. There was a girl one time that had, she was having nightmares and she was telling me that her house was actually haunted. And so she said, do you think I'm crazy? And I told her, no, I don't. I think that you may have something evil in your house that you've allowed in there and started talking and she had been watching tons of horror movies and she was being tormented by the devil. And I was able to pray with her and to teach her the authority that she had in Christ. And there were several kids like that that I just got the chance to minister to as a teacher in a public school. And I, I do not regret for a second any day that I spent in that place, but I still wanted out. And I remember that finally, uh, after five years of teaching, God released me to go and to move on and to work here in the church instead. But I remember looking back and just seeing the faithfulness of God, that I didn't jump ship early, that I stayed with it, that I was patient with where God had called me. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we have to be patient with God, patient with his timing. The Bible says that, that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his timing is perfect. And we have to wait on God. Psalm 37, verse 7. 
It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Free not, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently for his timing. If you're in a job right now that you hate being at, I definitely feel you. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it to patiently wait on God. It's worth it to be still and know that he's God because he's got a plan. He sees the beginning from the end. We just see the immediate right now. It's like, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle and all you see is a little blue blob on this one piece. And, and he sees the box, the full picture. He sees what it's gonna look like when all the pieces come together. How could we not trust him? How could we not wait patiently on him? And I see those five years, the character development on the inside of me and the skills that I developed and the relationships that I built, they are still shaping and molding me to this day, doing what I'm doing now. And, and when we wait patiently on God, it's about a process. You see, God is much less concerned about your comfort than he is about your character. And the process develops character. If you try to skip the process and go straight to the end destination, you're not gonna have the character to sustain you and to keep you there. So God's not, he's, he's, the Bible says that he's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases you, him. It doesn't say he has already given you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. No, it's a process. He's working in you. And we have to wait patiently on the process. We can't skip ahead to the next step. We can't be so discontented in this season that all we do is look forward to the next. We have to be patient with God and with his timing. But the good news is we don't have to do it on our own because patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about peace, talked about patience, and now we're on the fruit of kindness. And you know what? Some people are very naturally kind. I mean, you can look at a person and say, man, they're just so kind. They're always kind to me. And some people are not naturally kind. I mean, my wife and I got to go to New York City, I think three years ago, and we loved it. We had a great time. As a whole, the people there are not very kind. I mean, I remember walking down the subway like, hi, how are you? Hi, my name's Evan, how are you? My wife's like, stop it, they don't wanna talk to you. you know? <laughs> they had the AirPods in, they were just, they're like beeline, and I'm like, hey, how, you want me to hold the door for you? No, okay. But, you know, and I think Texans are kind, you know. Some people in the North, they struggle a little bit, but the Holy Spirit works in all of us. Whether you're naturally kind or not naturally kind, this is a process for all of us to grow. Kindness is in God's nature. God himself is kind. And I want you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 14. And we're gonna get there in just a little bit. Kindness is in God's nature. It's part of who he is. Romans chapter two verse four says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. He is so kind with us that he leads us to repentance. And it reminds me of the verse that talks about how he's patient with us that we read earlier. He's patient with us. He's, he's not coming back to get us yet because he's patient with people. But he's also kind and his kindness leads us to repentance. Ephesians 2, it says, but God who being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass or in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. It says, by grace we've been saved and he raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. 
He's not just a little bit kind. His kindness is immeasurable towards us. And it's just like we talked about patient. When I realize that God has been so kind to me and his kindness towards me is immeasurable, how can I not be like him and do my very best to be kind to others? I wanna read you a quote from someone named Olivia Fortin. She says, kindness is a lifestyle. It's a daily practice. It's a choice. As Christians, we are to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and growth takes time. A seed does not transform into a tree overnight, but with careful watering, tending, and patience, a seed will slowly grow day by day into a strong, towering tree. It's the same with kindness. We must be faithful every day to bear the good fruit of kindness. Being kind should be our default mode, a habit of goodwill, a heart of continual service every day of the year. So what does biblical kindness look like? It looks like Christ. Not just for one season or one day of the year, kindness is for every moment of every day. It's a habit, it's a lifestyle, it's a continual practice. It is intentional and it's taking time and patience, a giving of ourselves in the busy, when we are too tired, and lastly, kindness is for absolutely everyone. As we intentionally show kindness each day, may we shine the light of Christ to a dying world in need of a savior, a generation in need of love and grace. Be Jesus to someone today and every day. Make him your role model and make kindness your lifestyle. And I love the way that she puts it that kindness is not one act. Kindness is not for one day. Kindness isn't just for Christmas time. Kindness is a habit that we form. It's a lifestyle that we live, and it's a choice that we make. And she mentioned in there, what does biblical kindness look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. And I told you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. And I believe that this, this chapter shows God's kindness, the kindness of Jesus, in such an incredible way. So we're gonna start in verse 13, but to set this up, What has just happened is that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been wrongfully killed. The the king, Herod, just to please his daughter-in-law, has killed John the Baptist, cut off his head. And this was Jesus' cousin, and it's someone that Jesus loved. Whenever, whenever Mary and Elizabeth, their mothers, got together when they were pregnant, that said that the baby, John, leapt for joy just being close to, to Jesus. They had such a good relationship and his cousin has just been beheaded. And so look in verse 13, here's what it says. Now when Jesus had heard this, and that's talking about his cousin being beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. I mean, you think, of course, he's grieving, he's in pain, he's full of sorrow. And so he gets in a boat to go off and be by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he told them to go away and leave him alone. No, that's probably what we would have done. But it says, and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. On a time when he was hurting, in a time where he was busy, in a time where he just wanted to be alone, people came and needed him and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Verse 15, now when it was evening, the disciples came into him and said, This is a desolate place and the day's over now. Send the crowds away to go to the village and buy food for themselves. And I think that even the people there would have found that perfectly acceptable. 
yeah, we're here late and we are hungry. We should probably go into town and buy some food. But this is what Jesus said. Verse 16, they need not go away. You give them something to eat, they said to him. We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so we've heard the story, the feeding of the 5,000 our whole lives. I mean, that's like Sunday School 101. But did you know that that happened on the cusp of the worst news that Jesus had gotten? That he was full of sorrow and that he just wanted to be alone? But that because there was a need, the kindness and the compassion of Jesus, that that piece of him that's in his nature didn't turn them away. He had compassion on them and he, he not only healed them, he taught them, he spoke to them. And then when they were hungry, he fed them. Jesus was a man full of kindness. And we're, we're to be kind to each other. About, I don't know, it was a few months ago, I was at the mall. And you know, the mall, it can be kind of a dirty place. People don't treat it all that well. And I saw this lady and she was pushing a janitorial cart, this really little short lady. She was pushing her cart and she would you know, bend down. I think she was maybe scraping gum off the floor or something. And the kindness of God just came on me and I looked at her and I said, thank you so much for keeping this place clean. It looks really nice and you're doing a great job. I mean, that didn't cost me anything. But just to notice her, she perked up and her eyes got huge and she said, oh my goodness, thank you so much. She said, you just made my entire day. I mean, just for somebody to notice her and to speak a kind word, but too often we're walking with our heads down wanting everybody to leave us alone, wanting to be avoided at all costs. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus looked for reasons to show kindness to people. And like we read earlier, God is so kind to us. So let the the fruit of the Spirit, let kindness grow within you. Let it become a lifestyle. Look for ways to be kind to people. Challenge yourself. How can I be more kind today than I was yesterday? What can I do for somebody? What can I do to look outside myself and to, and to come down and stoop into somebody else's world and to lift them up, even if it's just a kind word, even if it's just giving them a few dollars, even if it's buying their Starbucks or whatever the case may be, how can we show kindness and be more like Jesus? And so with the fruit of the Spirit, with all nine of them, we need to let them grow on the inside of us. Again, it doesn't just happen. You have to cultivate a heart, first of all, that can allow the seed to be planted and to grow, but then it takes time. And you're not gonna say, you know what, Pastor Evan's right, I need to be more kind, and tomorrow you're the kindest person in the world. No, but you can be more kind tomorrow than you were today, and then you can be more kind the next day than you were the day before that. And we all grow in these things. We allow God to shape us, to mold us, and to grow on the inside of us, amen? Go ahead and stand upon your feet with me. Let me pray over you. Father God, we thank you so much for every person in this room. God, would you help us? Help us to grow in peace and help us to be led by your peace. Help us to grow in patience with with each other, patience with you, God, and wait on your timing, and help us to be filled with the fruit of kindness. Teach us how to be kind to others just like you were, Jesus. In your name we pray. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube 
or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.